normally pray for all of my messages. I pray for all the times of teaching that I have the privilege to do, whether it's a precept class on Monday nights, the leadership thing on Tuesday, or Thessalonians on uh, whenever. But uh, as I go through times of my own personal studies, my own personal growth, there's times when uh, God reveals things to me uh, that I am not adequate at giving. And, uh, and I'll be honest with you, it's one of my greatest frustrations, and, and I do understand all of the dynamics and the theology behind it. There's times that God needs to grow me, and he gives me things that are solely and holy for me, and, and it's not a, for the purpose of me teaching anybody. It was strictly for my own strengthening and my own edification. But I've already argued with him and told him that that's just not fair sometimes, and, um, and I got that same sound that many of you get from heaven, Nothing which means uh, I'm not going to argue with you. <laughs> so there. Um, I have never stepped into a text before when I had such a fiber in my being want you, everyone, to know this. Okay? And I'm not, I don't want an intellectual ascension. Okay? Many in this room this day have an intellectual ascension and yet have no comprehension of verse 12. And my prayer has been, those of you who know this, it becomes your soul. Those of you who do not know this, it also becomes your soul. And then I will watch us turn the world upside down. Because you will not do it without this. I guarantee it. Absolutely guarantee it. So I'm going to read verse 12, and I'm going to ask the king for his mercy. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by any. <sighs> my God, my God, I beg you now. In the power of your spirit to touch the soul of everyone who hears this. Lord, it won't be something that we can repeat. It won't be something that we have taken unto memory. But Father, that you would open the eyes of your people. That we may understand the freedom that we have in our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. That, Father, that we would understand the power that is in every child of God. That we would understand that we are nothing but clay pots and the treasure is within inside. Father, please help these precious souls see what you showed me bow before it, exaltation and rejoicing to your praise and glory in Christ's name. Amen. We come out of a verse that I watch people sort of get apoplexic over. I watch people wrestle with and I want to back into that one. Then I want to go to John's gospel, the 15th chapter. Okay. And then from there, I want to go all over the place. Because I am convinced at this day and age that the bulk of Christendom in the United States has no clue what this verse means. I've got the 
in my own very life, I know that there are many times that I have not rested in the principles that are given here, nor in the power source that has been given to every child of God. It is not based on intellect. It is not based on your degrees. It is based on, thus saith the Lord, and here I am, send me. And yet every, every one of you in this room this day, I guarantee struggle with what I will teach this day. Guaranteed. Absolutely guaranteed. Okay? He comes out and he says, such as some were you. What was some of us? We were fornicators and idolaters and adulterers and effeminates and homosexuals and thieves and covetous and drunkards and revilers and swindlers. And they, at some point in time, we were not able to inherit the kingdom of God. We've come to a place now that we have. How does that place work now? Because you have been washed, past tense. You have been sanctified, past tense. And you have been justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. It is not a process. That there is salvation. It isn't two out of three. All right? Many of you will say, but there is a process, and I will show you the process. But when it comes to your sanctification, when it comes to your glorification, when it comes to your justification, it's done. The issue is, do you believe it? And what do you know in light of holy writ? So now then, I want to take you over to John's Gospel. 15th chapter. Please go there. If you don't have a Bible, look on it with someone else. Because I want the Word of God to accomplish that that it was set out for. Okay, the 15th chapter of John's Gospel, we'll start with verses 3 and 4. What does it say? You are being cleansed. Already clean. Why? Which I spoke to you. That he says, Abide in me and I in you. As branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. Okay? The word abide is a really cool way of saying remain. I have been cleansed, Hal, by the word of God. Do you understand what that means? It wasn't a gimmick. It wasn't a method. It wasn't a system. It was by the unadulterated proclamation of the Word of God. Anything else is man. Many of us this day work in the power of our abilities. Did you have the, the ability to save yourself? Do you have the ability to sanctify yourself? But you will try extraordinarily hard to glorify yourself. I've never met a person who did not have that spiritual gift. It is not a spiritual gift from God the Father either. All right? So he says, you have been cleansed. It's already there. How do I know that? I know this is tough. Yes, you have to think with me today. You can't just sit there and smile and be pretty. How? How am I cleansed by the Word of God? If you have very minimal exposure to the Word of God, guess what? You don't feel cleansed, do you? You carry around a guilty conscience, don't you? You feel inadequate, don't you? You feel sorrowful, don't you? You feel like, well, I just don't have anything to offer, don't you? 
How could he forgive me for who I am? And all I will tell you is that you have not spent time in the word of God. Drop down. I want to show you a text and I want you to keep your finger in this for the rest of the message because I will come back to this. Verses 14 and 15. Let's drop 12 into it. Okay. I'm just feeling generous today with the cleansing of the word. This is my commandment. You got a red letter Bible? All right. See, I don't have a red letter Bible, but this would be more divinely inspired, wouldn't it? Because it's red. All right. Mine is still. All right. This is my commandment that you love one another. How? It would be willing to wash everyone's feet who would stand before you. But I would prefer to teach a Sunday school class. You will never teach a Sunday school class. You will be absolutely of no value to the body of Christ if you're not willing to wash feet first. If you do not have the lowest level servant's mentality, you are of no value to the King of kings and Lord of lords. You will continue to study scripture and you will continue to use this word. The Holy Spirit continues to convict me. Why? Because your ego is still in the way. Here's what he says. Greater love is this than what? How many of you do that? Take chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians. We'll look at that in depth in about 20 years. But chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians, and you will see that love is a verb. Everybody know what that is? Is an action. It's not icky sentimentalism. Okay? I see young people, and they get that look in their eyes. I can't do it because I've moved out of icky sentimentalism. All right? And they'll look at that sweet young thing, and they'll say, I love you. Right? And you watch them. You ever seen them? They walk away like this. Huh? It's true. I have not seen anybody does it, but you just don't understand. Really? Trust me. Been there, done that. But it says true love will lay its life down. You know what that means? The things that are important to me are no longer important to me. The things to you are the most important things to me in my life. Have people struggle sometimes. They say, well, Terry, how can you be so enmeshed in the church? Because that is the body of Christ. That is the representation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, what about your family? You are my family. You are my brothers and my sisters. You are the people that I would adamantly, and I will say here before God as my witness, I would lay my life down for any one of you, any time. Even if I went hunting. Your precedents are more important to me than mine. Okay? He says, you are my friends if you do what I command you. Now watch watch verse 15. No longer do I call you slaves. For a slave, you getting this? You really need to get this. If you ever want to take something to memory, this is the one. For For the slave does not, hear this well. For the slave does not know the master is, what the master is doing, but I have called you friends. 
For all things that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. Some of you this day in this room are slaves to the Lord Jesus Christ. Did you know that? I can see it in you. Your actions speak it. Why? Because I am a slave. I was a slave to sin. Now I'm a slave to righteousness. Why would a child of God who is free in Christ, who has sonship in Christ, be a slave? Hold that thought because I'll explain it to you. See, let me explain to you. I want to go into the second part of this, the freedom that sonship has. Okay, I showed you a text in chapter 4, right? The lower level galley slave, a steward of the master's home. What is a lower level galley slave? It is an untalented being that can paddle when told to paddle, stop paddling when told to stop paddling. That was their existence. Well, how in the heck can I be a lower level galley slave and be free in Christ? Your text just showed it to you. A friend of the Lord Jesus Christ knows before commanded when I'm supposed to paddle. Knows before I'm commanded when I'm supposed to stop paddling. And it's not argumentative. Watch how this works. Slavery in the New Testament. The letter to the Corinthian church would deal with the Greek culture foremost with an overriding umbrella of the Roman um, society. Rome controlled the Greek culture and basically Rome said as long as you pay your taxes, don't do anything stupid like try to pick a fight with us. We'll let you govern yourselves. You can set your own courts up and do your own things. As long as you do that, everything's copacetic. If you try to fight us, we will obliterate you. Okay? And that's sort of the Roman mentality. And it was actually a good system as long as you didn't feel like you were getting a short end of the stick. If you felt like you were getting a short end of the stick and you went and picked a fight, um, you just died. All right? The slavery of the New Testament world, a slave had absolutely no freedom to choose. Okay? A large portion of the population did. Let me explain what I mean they couldn't choose. They couldn't choose the clothes they wore. It was whatever was given them. They could not choose what they were going to eat. They could not choose who they would um, procreate with. They could not choose when the offspring bore was born, whether that offspring stayed with them and they raised that offspring or whether that offspring was sold or whether the offspring was killed. They had absolutely no choices whatsoever. Please understand that none. They didn't choose when they got up. They didn't choose when they went to bed. They didn't choose what they did in the morning. They didn't choose what they did in the afternoon. They were a tool. And that's all they were considered. Okay? If freedom was to be given to a slave under the Greek authority... Okay. The only way that it could be done was to make that slave a child of the family of the master. Do you hear what I said? 
If the slave was to be freed, the only way the slave could be freed is if the master chose to adopt the child. Okay, which is very interesting. In Roman culture, the husband was the ruler of the family. And when the wife would bring forth the child, the husband would look at the child, and if you give a thumbs up, the child would live. If you put a thumbs down, they would take the child out and kill it. Okay? That was Roman culture. That was Roman law. The father had the authority to say, I didn't want a daughter, I wanted a son. Or I didn't want a son, I wanted a daughter. If it was too small, if it didn't meet what he believed would be a good, healthy, strong child, the father had the prerogative to kill the child. What's really cool, and I think we should get back to practicing, any time in the life of that child that the father was still alive, if the child did something that the father believed shamed the family name, he could have the child put to instant death. I like that rule. Certain things in uncivilized communities, I believe we should bring back. Well, ask yourself a question. Where would be the gang problem? See what I mean? You don't have to do one, right? But anyway, but the, the, in, in the Roman society, in the Greek society, underneath the Roman culture, that was the rule. Any time during that child's life, as long as the father was alive, if he chose to kill that child, he had the right to do it. And he could make any decision he wanted. You shamed me because whatever. Therefore, I was shamed, and by you doing that, I will put you to death. Only one occasion you couldn't do that. That's if you adopted the child. Because, see, the, the birthing, the Romans and the Greeks believed, you brought the child in through the birth of the child. It was yours. The child didn't have the choice, nor did you have the choice of the child. You, I mean, you can have consummation and bring forth a child, but you don't get to pick it. All right? They said that under the willful picking of the child, which is done through adoption, you have no rights to kill that child anymore. That endures. Okay? Now, with that out of the way, Paul, to the letters to the church in Rome, in Romans chapter 8, verse 15, says this, You have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. You got that? But you have received the spirit of adoption, where you, whereby we cry, Abba, Father, Papa. You have adopted me, Lord Jesus. You have willfully picked me from a litter of humanity. And in that adoption, I am no longer a slave. I am a child of God. In Galatians chapter 4, you write these down and you can go look at them. I was going to do through all of them, a couple I want to, but write them down, you go look at them. In chapter 4, verse 5, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. You were a slave to sin. Who was your master? 
Sin. The father of lies was your master. I don't care how good you were before you were saved. Sin ruled your life. And by the atoning work of the cross, the intervention of the Holy Spirit into your life, you have been moved from the kingdom of the lies to the kingdom of truth. You have been moved from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. You have been moved from the master of sin to the master of righteousness in a way that you have been adopted into the family of God. The family of of God. You have moved from slavery to sonship. You have moved into a life of freedom and liberty. I once knew a young man at 20 years of age, had the ability to travel anywhere he wanted to, was making somewhere around half a million dollars cash a year. He could travel anywhere he wanted. He could be with anybody he wanted. He could do anything he wanted, any time he wanted. And yet that man was in more bondage than the human beings that I see uh, some of you in this room. Because the things of the world mastered him. They controlled him. They obsessed his mind with his thinking processes. Everything was how to do more, how to achieve more, how to have more, how to play more. How can I be satisfied? And I can never be satisfied, so I shall press on. He was willing under his old master to lose sleep. He was willing to forfeit anything and everything for the furtherance that he would believe would bring him happiness, even if the happiness was only momentary. He was ruled by a king, an unrelenting king. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 16, Act as free men do not use your freedom as a covering for evil but use it as bond slaves of God you know what that word is bond slaves in the Jewish culture and this is Peter writing in a Jewish culture if you had a Jewish slave you could only have him for seven years or her for seven years at seven years you had the ability at that point to set him free You had to. The law said, God's law said, after seven years, a Jewish slave had to be set free. So you set him free. If the slave, in seven years of working in your household, said, I like it here. This is it. Okay? They would take his ear and they would hold it up to the lintel doorpost and they would take an awl and they would drive a hole through the ear. And they would open it with a ring and place the ring inside of it so it would have a hole in the ear. And that signified that through that ear that I am a bond slave to this master. Meaning I work for this man, this family, because it is my passion, my desire. I see people, men with two of them. And I'm thinking tormented souls trying to serve two masters. And they're getting yanked around by the ear. I seen a guy the other day had one in his nose and I didn't even want to think about it. I thought, who have you surrendered to? And we won't go with some of the others I've seen. All right? Why? I don't, you missed the ear. How did you get the belly button? 
I mean, well, you got a drunk body piercing guy, didn't you? Aim for your ear, you're going to get an earring, and look what you got. A hole within a hole. Anyway. <coughs> Paul, Peter says, act like free people. Why? You have a master that you should desire to serve. Okay, now hang on. I'm going to keep going here. All right, Romans chapter 6, verse 22. I want you to hear the tenses that the Apostle Paul gives to this. But now having been freed. What does that mean? Come on now. Already happened. What have I been freed from? Sin. And I have been enslaved to God. What happens? I derive my benefit resulting in what? Holiness. That's sanctification. Having past tense, been free, now enslaved to God, the benefit is holiness. What's the process? I'm dealing with it. I'm dealing with it. Okay? Your benefit is sanctification. What is the outcome of that? Eternal life. Okay, now let me ask you a question. Think hard with me right now. What in this world right now can guarantee you eternal life? Oh, so do you prefer to be a slave to sin or be enslaved to God? Go ahead and answer it. Yes, I do have another question. Great big one sitting right here. Okay, and I'll deal with it. All right, so true freedom consists of desiring God and to obey him as a father, as Abba Father. I want to obey what my father says. How cool is that? That is freedom. You don't understand. And now I want to deal with some of you. Some of you don't look free. Some of you have been in Bible studies. Some of you have done some all kinds of stuff. You've taught some Bible studies. You've been involved in this. You've got good, solid theology. And I look at you, and all I see is a slave. And I'm going to deal with that in a minute. Okay? I want you to think about that. When you think about your wife, or your life right now, your wife. <laughs> Maybe we'll pray now and stop while I'm ahead. <laughs> When you think about your life right now, okay, does your life show sonship in the Lord Jesus Christ? That I run around and God who speaks existence into being. The God who the waters of the world will sit in the hollow of his hand and span of his hand is creation. He knows the hairs of my head. He knows the days of my conception. He knit me in my mother's womb. He knows the exact day that my race is run. To the second... Does my life look like he's leading me or does my life look like I am a slave? Okay, back to your text there in Corinthians 6.12. Because he says this three times, all things, all things, and all things. Okay, immediately what comes to your mind? All things. Is that true? Nope. Go back to verse 9 and 10. If all things in your life entitle some of those, you're not going into the kingdom of heaven. 
That's what it says. I didn't say it. It's just what it says. Okay? Look at another one. I'll, I'll just give you this quickly. Look at verse 18. Flee. Flee. You know what that means? All I think of every time I see the Greek word for flee, I think about everybody remember Coyote and the Roadrunner? And when the coyote, you see that, and you see that smoke, that's flee. Why do you guys not flee immorality? Why do you tempt yourself with sexual immorality? I've not met a person in this church who doesn't at some point or another. The Bible says just flee it. What? Be like the roadrunner. No, don't go like my Sunday school class. My Sunday school class, does that mean that the coyote's immorality? No, this was an illustration. <laughs> okay. It's amazing what your kids are. That's coming only listening to part. <laughs> All we have to do to get away from sex sin is run away from coyotes. <laughs> That's not exactly what I meant. Okay? Let me tell you something. You are bombarded 24 hours a day, seven days a week with sex sin. I don't care who you are. I don't care where you're at. It's always there. It hits you, it hits you, it hits you, it hits you, and it's unrelenting. What should your response be? How many of you are running? How many of you really believe in your heart you can handle it? You know what? I see a bunch of you shaking your heads no, and I know a bunch of you right now who are playing with it. And I have never seen anybody not get burned. Never, ever. You run from it. I ain't afraid of anything except immorality. Why? The Bible says, flee it. You run from it. And it is any sex that is outside of what God has ordained. I watch people and I watch people and I hear the question, how far can you go? If you're asking that question, you've gone too far. Because what do you think you can do with it? I can play with it. How far can I go? I can go right to here. What happened to flee? Well, it's right here. I haven't crossed. Oh, so you're the one exception to what biblical truth is. Okay. Let me take you to some other text. I don't take you to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. It's right after 2 Corinthians. Galatians chapter 5. I've had people tell me that I don't know the intents of the heart. Which means these people really think I'm cruel because I know what my heart is. Okay, and I think that my heart is probably like everybody else's. All right, here's what he says in Galatians 5, beginning in verse 19. The deeds of the flesh are evident. Did you get that? Where do the deeds of the flesh come from? The motive of the heart. Okay? I don't know your heart. I know your deeds. From your deeds, I know your heart. Look what he says here. Which are immorality... Impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissension, and factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. 
of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Okay, now ask yourself a question. Would that list there kind of fall into, say, sin? Actually, if you look at it, it encompasses all internal and external sin. It's all in there. There's nothing missing in this text. Okay? Uh, and I'm not, I, that's, I'm not here to deal with that. I'm just here to show you that when he puts this list together, anything, any sin, uh, disobedience to God is covered in that, those verses. All right? Now ask yourself a question. Were you freed from sin? Were you enslaved to God? Is it evident? Just a question. Just a question. Turn with me to Second Timothy, chapter three. Second Timothy, chapter three. Go through the T books, and it's before Titus. That'd be First Thessalonians, Second Thessalonians. 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus. Okay? Chapter 3, 1 through 7. I'm going to read these real quick. I don't want to really get into them, but I want you to understand the context. Realize that in the last days, difficult times will come. Okay, now listen. He won't, he's telling Timothy what it's going to be like to minister in the body of Christ. This book, 2 Timothy, deals with discipleship. Okay, what you're up against, what you're going to struggle against, what's going to look like, what the enemy's going to throw at you, what you will struggle with as an individual, what you will fight with, what in and, and, and the discipling process. All right. And that's what the whole book is. It deals with Second Timothy deals with. Look what he says in the body of Christ, because that's normally where you run into disciples. Actually, that's where you should. It will. This will happen in the end days. What happens? First and foremost, men will be lovers of self. Okay, Charles Spurgeon writes on that verse right there. He says, loving of self is the sewer pipe that the rest of it drains through. <laughs> I love Charles. <laughs> I'm going to hang with him when I get to heaven. He's just going to be fun. Give me some more of them cool things you said. So, Right? Let's be realistic. When I sin against God, who am I putting on the throne? I want to drive the bus now. And that's all you're doing. And out of that, you become lover of money, boastful, arrogant, reviler, disobedient to parent. Josh, do you read that? Uh, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control. Did you get that one? Did you get that? Without self-control. Okay, just go, let's go on. Brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And what is really so appalling is they hold on to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. Those of you who came last Sunday night and seen that part one video that I'm playing through, um, would you say heartily Amen. If you didn't come, then don't say it because then I'll know you're lying. It says avoid these people. Avoid such men. Okay? But you know what's really cool about this? It comes on the heel of another teaching. It comes right out of... Now, remember when he wrote this letter, he didn't write in chapter 4. All right? And if you really look at it in the original language, he's not even changed the thought. The thought shows up in verse 24. 
actually it starts in verse 20, speaking of the large house, which is the house of God, the family of God. There is gold and silver vessels, there is vessels of wood and earthenware, and some to honor and some to dishonor. And he goes through this, all right? And he says, but the lot, and he talks about people who will come against you. What does he say about useful lust? Verse 22. Ooh. That isn't that little bug that bites you. It means, beep, beep, roadrunner. <laughs> Flee, youthful, lust. Okay, just in case. All right, in case you young people miss what I'm trying to get to. All right? He says, Flee, youthful, lust. Pursue righteousness, faith, peace, faith, love, and peace <clears throat> with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Look what he says. Refuse foolish and ignorant speculation, knowing that they produce quarrels. Right? Now look what he says. Now he's talking about Timothy. This would be the discipler, the person that God has put into position to teach other people. Do you know who that would be? Huh? What? Anybody know? Who would be the discipler? Every Christian is a discipler. Okay? All right, so this is not a pastoral epistle. That drives me nuts. I've never seen that in these texts. All right, but here's what he says. The Lord's bondservant. You know what the bondservant is, right? That's the ear. I choose to do this. I want to do this. I have a passion to do this. I love doing this. All right, here's what he said. The Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, be kind to all, able to teach, and patient when wrong. With gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of truth. When a person comes against you and he is contentious against you, he is quarrelsome against you, uh, you are to be gentle, okay, with patience, and understand that for a person to change from this quarreling, this backbiting, this divisive manner, which would make them a vessel of dishonor in the body of Christ, that God needs to bring him to repentance. How does he bring him to repentance? What's it say? He leads them to what? Knowledge of the truth. What is the knowledge of truth? It is that thing that makes you holy. Holy. Remember? You have been sanctified by the words I've spoken to you. The word is truth. Remember that? John 15. All right. So if you are quarrelsome, if you are contentious, if you are backbiting, if you are, well, I just don't think that's right, or I just don't believe that that's going to work, and I need to talk to somebody about it, and you're doing that all the time, would you say you are holy? If you believe so, then you need to watch one of the democratic debates. Because that don't look holy to me. Why? They have not been with truth. But they have truth. And if God don't bring them to repentance, you believe you can? Okay. Look what he says. Leading to the, the knowledge of truth. What? And that they may come to their senses and do what? Oh, did you read that? That is one of the most horrifying verses in all of Holy Writ. They will come to their senses, escape the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. Where will Satan's will be fought at? In the body of Christ. Do you know that there are saints 
chosen children of God who are in the body of Christ doing the will of Satan. How do they get free from that? You pray for them. (laughs) You pray for them. If God doesn't bring them to repentance, you couldn't come to repentance if God doesn't bring you. Okay? All right? So, in our text in the Corinthians, we must understand the whole text, don't we? We need to understand even outside of that. I'm looking at a church that it was divisive. They were dividing over teachers. I think Paul's a better teacher. I think Apollos is a better teacher. I think Cephas is a better teacher. Well, I think Jesus Christ is a better teacher. There's some of you who have fallen into that very same thing. You believe that I can sit outside of the body of Christ, I can study my scriptures, contemplate my navel, sing kumbaya, and I will become a greater saint than what God has planned. God said, I have given the body of Christ for the edification of the saints, and if you think you can do it better, then I will pray for your repentance. Because you are doing the will of Satan. Anybody want to disagree with what I just said? In light of scripture. I'm not trying to say this to hurt people. I'm trying to tell you God said this is how it will be. Period. And the true freedom in Christ is, yes, Father, I rejoice. I rejoice. Okay. If you read the whole of the context, you'll see that there's a lot of stuff that will prevent people from entering the kingdom. We come out of the context, back to our text in Corinthians, we come out of that context, he's just come out of litigation, suing each other. Why? Because I'm more worried about my possessions. I'm worried more about my rights. And he says, but you forget. All things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. Let me give you an illustration of this, okay? Because I I, I see something, and and you know what? You can sit and say, well, are you saying that you have to be in church when the doors are open? No, I've never said that. Absolutely have never said that. But here's the thing that I have found and I've watched. When people can use that excuse, you know, he says you don't have to be there all the time. What do they do? Why? Because I am so spiritual that I can stand out there by myself? See, I before I became an elder in this church, i got to take you back a long time. Out, there's only a handful of you who are here. When the doors of this church were open, I was here. Why? I knew what it was like out there. I mean, I, I don't, maybe it's me. Maybe I'm just weak. You guys have got to figure it out. I know that I'm safer with a bunch of Christians, even grouchy Christians, than I am out there. That place out there is brutal. That place out there wants to take my soul and display it before humanity to embarrass my God. I don't want to be out there. I won't bring shame to him. I've done it enough in my life. I don't want to do that no more. I prefer to be around Christians. It's just a whole lot easier. And every once in a while, I'll peek my head out and make a, a, an unbeliever mad, and then I jump back in the hole and just go. And then you got. I, maybe I'm different. Now, let me show you something. I am a child of God. I have freedom of sonship. I can call him. I just seen this video of, uh, in, in March. I, I'm going to go to Israel. 
And I seen this little video where they were in a marketplace. And these, there were these uh, parents walking around. It's just an open-air market like you see in the Middle East. And there was these little kids running around going, Abba, 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 to their daddy. And I heard that, and I said, wow, that's cool. Because <laughs> just something about me going up to somebody and saying, hey, Abba. Just, isn't that a singing group? Anyway, um, sorry, sidetracked there. I want to give you a decision on this. I want you to think about something with me. You don't go to the text, write it down, and go do your own homework in it. And it's in Genesis 13, beginning in cha- verse 7 through, I think, almost chapter 19. Okay, but, but just don't go there. Just hang on and listen to me. Okay, because there's something that God showed me that is just mind-boggling to me, and it ties this thing together. Everybody knows about Lot. Right? I learned some cool stuff about Lot. Okay? Lot and Abraham were relatives. And Abraham took Lot with him because he was leaving everything that he knew. And he was kind of old bugger. And he kind of wanted to make sure that thieves wouldn't take over his possessions should he croak. And so he took Lot, his, uh, I think it was nephew, yeah, nephew, took nephew with him because if I croak, I'm going to let Lot take over my inheritance. God told me that I'm going to have a whole bunch of kids, but you know what? I'm older than dirt, and it doesn't seem to be working. Okay, so he took Lot with him, and they um, uh, were having some problem between their servants. God blessed Lot and Abraham, and they grew all kinds of cattle and, and goats and sheep, and it just kept uh, what we, we would call a plethora. Of animals, and, and and they got mad. The servants started kind of getting ticked off at each other because you know, every time I go down there to water the cows, them stupid people from Lot's people are all down there and they eat drinking the water. And I ain't got no chance. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Anyway, so Abraham Lot sat down and said, "We need to divide this up, and we need land to support our increasing herds, but we need to divide, separate, so we're not in conflict." That makes sense, right? But I want you to think about something. You're a son, a daughter of God. Okay? And you have the ability to make decisions and choices. We must think that we are limited by what we look at, by the decision processes that we make. We are very... Um, we never. Do, how many of us ever look at the big picture? How does this affect the Lord Jesus Christ and the decision I'm making? We never look at certain events or decisions as how they may develop in the future. We don't look at decisions we make on their potential. Do we? Or do we? Perhaps we do. When we make decisions, what is it that is motivating my decision? What information do you take in your decision-making process? I'm just going to let you guys think about it. I want you to think about this. I don't want you to sit there and go, golly, what time is it? Is it time to eat yet? All right. Lot made a choice on what he perceived. He says, I want the plains of the Jordan. Why? Well, if you do some geography and some history and stuff, you'll find that the plains of the Jordan flood on a regular basis. You know what that makes? Real fertile dirt and real thick, lush pastures. And I want to have a big herd. I want a lot of cattle. But I also want to pitch my tent toward the cities. Why? Because I'm in the agricultural business. I raise cattle. 
I raise goats. I raise sheep. I raise material to make cloth. I make skins. I have meat. Where can I sell that at? Where will there be a good, strong market for the things that I invest in and I endeavor in? So when Lot looked at this, if you were there, where would you have chosen? To live in a tent away from people with this huge herd of livestock? Or would you choose to live in a place that would sustain and grow your herd and have a a, a place where you can literally market your goods with very little effort? The grass was greener. And the stock grew. Okay, but let me explain something to you. Sometimes in the decision processes that we have as free men, I am free in Christ and I am a child of the family of God. Sometimes greener is not always the best. Sometimes what you perceive on an intellectual understanding, who will get credit for it? Okay? In verse 13 of chapter 13, God said the city of Sodom was wicked. But let me tell you some things about the city of Sodom. I know what, when you hear the word Sodom, you immediately shift into that that nasty place. Let me explain something. There was material prosperity there, okay, that would benefit the raising of livestock, and it was a good place, and it would make for a comfortable living. And let me explain to you, how many of you are more into comfortable living than you are Into what? It would work well. You know what? He prospered. You know what? He prospered in such a way that he became a leader of the city. It says that he was sitting outside of the city gates. That placed him in a place of rulership. So he was working well within the system. Why? There was stability there in the world. There was prosperity there. But let me tell you something about stability and prosperity. To a son of God... What the world offers as stability and prosperity will blind you. If you make your decisions based on stability and prosperity, you can almost bet the farm on whose stability and prosperity are you banking. It can even lead you to corrupting your moral judgment. It will always and Scripture blind you to the ways of the Lord. Lot looked for the riches of Sodom, and upon that understanding, he chose to enter. Not only did he choose to enter, he became comfortable. Lot dwelt in that city. Abraham dwelt in the tent. Lot dwelt upon the material resources, and the city was the place that he preferred. Now, let me share with you something. Lot's decision to go near the city where he could prosper, make money, and stabilize everything around him in and of itself is not sin. There's nothing wrong with that choice, now is there? But did Lot look at the outward? Did Lot look at what his success would become? Did he look at that stability and understand what that would provide in his life? Let me tell you something about stability and materialism and and, and prosperity. Here's the one thing that it will always do. 
it will curse you. Did you know that? You know why it'll curse you? What do you become dependent on? Ask yourself a question. What do you become dependent on? His family suffered death. Him and two daughters is all that were survived out of the collapse of the stability. And it was all based on Lot's ease, self. His two surviving daughters fell into a terrible sin. Okay? His wife was killed. His two daughters got their father drunk. You know why? Because they were afraid they wouldn't be around any place where they could have children. They were up in a cave. And they said, Sodom and Gomorrah have been destroyed and obliterated by God. We will never see another man. Let us take some wine, get our dad drunk, and he will father our children. His two daughters became the mothers of what is known as the Moabites and the Amorites to this very day fight against the children of Israel. To this day. And it was all based on a decision that I want my flocks to have good green grass and a place that I can market it, be stable, and be prosperous. The choice which Lot made was not sinful in and of itself. Did you know that it did not exclude him from the kingdom of God? Did you even know that Lot went to the kingdom of God? <laughs> I don't know. I, I was surprised. Lot, sir? Pretty sure. Turn with me. Second Peter chapter 2. What kind of surprised me? I was wondering, whoa, Lot's? Doesn't say nothing about his daughters. Now listen real close to me. I really want you guys to pay attention and hear what I'm going to say. Okay? I deal with a whole bunch of you in, 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 in private and personal ways, and I want you to hear what I'm saying right now. Okay? Because this is what I see. Okay, verse 7. He's talking about God condemning the cities of God and Sodom and Gomorrah. And he said, but he rescued righteous Lot. Whoa. Did you get that? He rescued righteous Lot. You know what that means, right? Righteous. That's sort of like that. You know, it's a fancy way of saying saved Lot. Okay, but look what it says. He rescued righteous Lot, oppressed by the sensual conduct of unprincipled men. Okay, verse 8. For by what he saw and heard, that righteous man, while living among them, felt his righteous soul. And I like the King James translation, which says, felt his righteous soul vexed. 
day after day by their lawless deeds. And the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from temptation and to give the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment. Okay, the New American Standard says they were tormented. He was tormented every day with his existence. His soul was in anguish. Let me ask you a question. How many of your souls are in anguish right now? How many of you are struggling with decisions that you've made, places that you are in life, decisions, choices that you've made, and it's just kind of got you knotted up? And you hear a message and you say, golly, that one convicted me too. What do you suppose it's saying to you? Lot made his choices, but he could not choose the consequences of his choices. It did not harm his salvation status. Little did he see the death of his wife or the horrifying incest of his daughters. But now I'll take it back and get very personal with it. Who was the spiritual leader in Lot's family. And yet Lot to this very day is known by his fruit. But look what his decision was. His choice, how bad is that choice? It's as bad as some of you make this day thinking that you can walk into a position, a place, a time, an event, a circumstance and believe that in your strength and your abilities and your understandings and my cavalier attitude toward God and the things of God, I can stand there and I don't understand why I'm reaping such heartache and tragedy. Back to John 15. No longer do I call you a slave, for the slave does not know what his master is doing. But I call you a friend, for all the things that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. What things of the father do you know? When you base your decisions, when you base choices that you make, what do you base them on? What do you base them on? Well, I need this kind of education, so I need to go to this place. Is that what God said? God said, I've given you everything you need for life and godliness. Didn't he? And that's why he read mine. God said, I've given you a body of believers, and in that I will supernaturally empower people to teach, so you may understand the things that cannot be understood by natural man. Will I stay faithful to that teaching? Well, I'm in a place that doesn't have any teaching. Sodom didn't have any teaching. And what was the fruit that Lot bore? Let me tell you something. Peter says that Lot was righteous. Lot's hanging out in heaven. I don't see his daughters. I don't see his wife. Okay, he brought that on as the spiritual leader. 
The choice wasn't bad. But when the warning signs come, what did Lot do? Nothing. He didn't do anything. I can overcome. How many of you are in places right now? Do you understand this? I, I am a friend because I know what my father wants. Right now in this room, I am positive some of you are slaves of Jesus Christ. Ask yourself a question right now. All right, everybody, I don't want you to look at your wife. Or I don't want you to look at you, what you want to be your wife. I don't, <laughs> I don't want you to look at your little brother, your little sister, your big sister, your little sister. I don't care. I don't want you to look at your, anybody else. I want you to act right now. People see you out. Do you look like a slave of the Lord Jesus Christ? Or do you look like a friend of the Lord Jesus Christ? Oh, maybe you just look like the world. Because that is what the Apostle Paul is laying down in verse 12. He says, I want you to understand something. What I do, I do because I am obsessed with my love for my Jesus. And in that obsession, all things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. But you know what? I know what my father wants. Therefore, nothing masters me but my daddy. And I know some of you right now who are slaves. Some of you I deal with are slaves to Jesus Christ. There's nothing wrong with that. Lot was saved. You know what? Every saint of God bears fruit. Lot bore fruit. I like to lean hard to the noble vessel side. That's what is being given to us in verse 12. Are you a slave to Jesus Christ? Or are you a friend? I love hanging with him. I mean, I guess, you know, somebody, some people, if you think what I just said is blasphemous, you're a slave. Okay? If you think me hanging with Jesus is blasphemous, you've got a problem. He's my buddy. He is my friend. You know why I know that? He laid his life down for me. And every one of you will know that. Every one of you intellectually say, he laid his life down for me. But do you know what the daddy wants? Do you know what Abba wants? I do. I do. And then if I get to a place where I don't know emphatically, you know what I do? Stop. Unless it's immorality. Then I flee. How hard is that? I, I love that. It isn't hard. I'm cruising. Sometimes I stop. 
Listen, the Apostle Paul in the letter to the Thessalonians, he said, I wish to come back. First Thessalonians, he said, I wish to come back to you, but the devil has put obstacles in the road and made it very difficult for me to get back to you. Paul was so sensitive, he knew when he was fighting against the, the Satan and his legions. But he was in Antioch, and he thought, I'm going to take and I'm going to evangelize China because in the future there are going to be 2 billion Chinese, and that will be a great testimony. He didn't know that. Okay, but he says, I'm going to go to the east, and he stopped. Why didn't he go to the east? The Holy Spirit said no. Well, then I'll go down to Jerusalem, and the Holy Spirit said no. And he says, but I'll go up north to Asia Minor, and the Holy Spirit said no. And he says, where do you want me to go then? Go to Europe. Why? So Terry Ball can get saved. The Apostle Paul knew when the Holy Spirit was stopping him and when the enemy was stopping him. How many of you right now are in turmoil in your lives right now because you can't tell the difference? And you know what I'll do? I'll tell you the same thing I tell everybody else. You reading your Bible? No. You praying? No. You in church? No. No wonder. My milk stool. Everybody remember the milk stool illustration? It's got three legs on it. If I'm sitting on the milk stool and something jumps up in my lap, I can still sit there. Nothing happens. Right? If I take one leg out of that milk stool and something jumps up in my lap, I might still even be able to maintain it. But some of you are willing to sit on that milk stool with one stinking leg. And if anything comes at you, what happens? Terry, it fell. Don't you? Or you'll call Stephanie, or you'll call, I don't know, uh, Cynthia, I broke. And I've actually run into Christians who are trying to sit like this and hold on to the seat with no legs. And I've seen them, and you sit there and go, oh, my Lord. All right, and you say, Lord, bring them through. Do you see what I'm saying? Look, he gave a three-legged stool. What? The body of Christ for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. What else? The word of God for holiness and prayer. So you can say, where do you want me, Father? And you know what? You can do it two out of three. You can do it one out of three. And some of us tried, no, I had a three. Look at me, I'm hovering. And all I know is Jesus Christ says, I am your friend. And you will know to the detail what I have planned for you when you do it my way. And you can choose because your sons, your daughters, go ahead. Because I know that nothing in creation can separate me from the love of God. And you will be redeemed. And you will also bear fruit. But if you're doing it yourself, as whether you're doing it with the Lord or without the Lord, you do not get to choose the consequences of your fruit. And your fruit is evident.
Your fruit is evident. All things are lawful. But I shall not be mastered by any. Let's pray. Father, I give you the praise. And Lord, I, Lord, I don't... Uh, I don't have any ability to share this with anybody. Lord, there is a freedom that you have laid out for humanity that is mind-boggling to me. I don't understand it. And yet, Father, you've taken the foolish, you've taken the weak, you've taken the off-scouring of the world, and you've given them a freedom that the world can't even understand. Father, I pray for these precious souls, every one of them. Lord, I lift this group of people unto you, for they have heard from your word. Father, and I ask you that in your power of your spirit, in the majesty of your exalted holy book, they are now responsible. Father, may we draw upon your, your righteousness, your kingdom, your holiness, your power, your authority, your people. Father, may that unity that comes through the power that is already there just shine brighter as the end of the age draws near. Father, I thank you for this verse. I thank you and I praise you for the amazing things you've shown me. And Father, as you've shown me in Scripture, I pray now that you will make this real in every person who heard. And that it will be the fiber and the operating systems of their lives. And that they hunger and thirst to know Papa's will. Father, I can't change anybody. And yet you change people's hearts. Father, I know you will complete in each of us what you've called us to. But I beg for this precious body that is so dear to me, that my King, my Lord, my Savior, that they would be mastered by nothing but the overwhelming love of Jesus Christ. To your praise, to your glory, in Christ's name, amen.